0: Also available on the Frank Horror Channel, Frank Horror presents Sinner's Moon, a seven episode limited horror fiction series. Suitable for mature audiences only, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Horror Analysis, a podcast that takes a psychological deep dive into all things horror and macabre. Here are your hosts, Frank Horror, writer, director, filmmaker, and podcaster with a background in counseling psychology, and Dr. Elliot Rotman, a clinical psychologist with a background in acting and the arts. The monster movie. Classic monster movies seem to really enjoy their heyday back in the 1950s and the 1960s. These creature features carried the torch for horror for a time, but as audiences got a little more savvy, demands on film studios moved away from the simplistic plot lines of having just a giant bug, a creature, some sort of monster, invade and then be confronted by townspeople or the army. Let's face it. I mean, how many times can you stomp on Tokyo before you need something new and something fresh? Now, with greater practical makeup effects and greater CGI tech, there has been a mini resurgence of the monster movie. And although it doesn't reign supreme over modern horror, it is still a viable subgenre. This is a a subgenre that, you know, it can be supernatural in nature, but not always. It's more about the creature invading our space, right? It's come and, and we're, we're, it's threatening us. We're trying to get rid of this, this creature or creatures. It could be something as simple as jaws where it's just a giant shark and it's come predating on the people of this town of, of Amity. Um, Or it could be multiple. It could be a swarm. Like look at Alfred Hitchcock's, the birds. And you've got just a, a flock of birds that have turned murderous for no reason that we can discern. That's a monster movie. Um, But it can have a supernatural element, too. It could be something like Frankenstein. Frankenstein's a monster movie.
1: Oh, absolutely. And actually, I'm not sure I would say there's a supernatural element. There's a there that in Frankenstein, there was science was used to and the the intention wasn't to create something evil or destructive. He was doing this out of research. Mm. It simply took a turn. But I think it's useful if we talk about the nature of monsters in general, and I have a definition here uh, in terms of the etymology of it. Monster derives from the Latin monstrum, itself derived ultimately from the verb moneo, to remind, warn, instruct, or foretell. And it denotes anything strange or singular contrary to the usual course of nature by which the gods give notice of evil. It could be a strange, unnatural, hideous person, animal, or thing, or anything monstrous or unusual. So, monsters go back through thousands of years of history. In Greek mythology, there were monsters. There was um, Minos, Minos, rather. There was the Minotaur, who was in a maze, so half man, half bull, and pretty uh, malevolent. Uh, Medusa whose hair was made of snakes. So this all was part of literature, was part of culture. And it's going back to Greek and Roman mythology. So when we talk about something being monstrous, it's also being used as something large. Ah, I had a monstrously good meal. I had a monstrously great time. We have monster trucks we're not afraid of those trucks, but they're really big. They have big wheels and big engines, and they they do stuff that other trucks don't do. For something to be a monster could be anything that is just larger. You could go back to the um, Princess Bride, of all things, where, if you remember, they are caught in the swamp, and they have rodents of unusual size yes. that were threatening. And they were certainly
0: scary, but you would say those are monstrous rodents. Size, and I would argue uh, their power. And their power. Yes. And so same thing, not to go back to Jaws again, but it, he defied, the shark defied um, the rules of what a normal shark right. was able to,
1: to do. And I think so the nature of something, of some, someone or something being a monster is, um, in terms of literature, history, art, they're depicted as something dangerous and aggressive deformed in some way and they're totally unique creature and creatures and they could be mutants ghosts spirits zombies would be considered monsters because they're outside of the usual realm and all sorts of other elements um can go into this in terms of spirits you know anything There, there. the way we think about monsters now um in terms of films and 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 books and such is that there's something they pose a threat they could be identifiable in some ways but they're they're similar to us potentially or different it could be an animal and you you could then have you could have a saint bernard friendly saint bernard and then you could have kujo and kujo is a monster you could have your garden variety moth but then you have the japanese character mothra who then fights Godzilla, and they're both monsters because Mothra is huge. So they're usually described as being seen as threatening or having some capacity uh, for causing destruction. And I think what is considered to be a monster, um, monsters aren't necessarily scary. They can also be misunderstood. Frankenstein starts off as you know, just really kind of helpless. You feel bad for the guy. You know, he was created. He didn't ask for this. And it's only when he's pushed and those, you know, he's no longer able to be controlled and he starts feeling things. So the one thing that makes him a monster to the villagers is his appearance. Although he looks human like, uh, because when you think about, you know, the way Frankenstein is depicted, it's like, he's got two eyes, two ears, yeah, he's got bolts coming out of his head, but and he's bigger than, than average. But he get, then gets labeled as the other, you know, after he, in the original story, and when he kills that little girl, largely out of fear, that then he becomes a monster.
0: Yeah. And he's, like you said, he's misunderstood much the same way as a monster like King Kong is. King Kong, who starts off being scary, at the end you empathize. With him, you you feel for this this monster that is more human than maybe some of the humans in there that have yes. exploited him.
1: And on the island where he was originally, if I recall, he was worshipped as a god. He kind of protected things there. He really didn't threaten the humans there. So there's an element to monster films. Sometimes the monster is just there by his nature. So you've got vampires, you yeah. know, Dracula. You know, however he got to be a vampire, he's there, he does what he does, and he exerts power over things. And other times they have cer- certain human characteristics. When the humans, unfortunately, suffer deformities. So the word monster has been used when you have um, a birth that if you have, there could be genetic deformities, but the, the term is no longer used, but the term monster has been used medically that if, um, a baby is born, uh, that has two heads that has multiple body parts or is extremely deformed, they are defined as monsters. And if you go to the Mütter Museum, um, here in Philadelphia, um, they're in jars. And this is particularly during Victorian times, how they were referred to. It was a valid medical term. And we look at it and we are potentially horrified because it's like us, but it's not like us. And it's like, well, thank goodness. I didn't end up that way or my kids didn't end up that way.
0: Sure. And back in the day that was seen as a moral defect though. So when there was an anomaly to the natural order that upsets people, and so it was a moral defect in either the person that became monstrous, that grew the horn out of their head, which at, speaking of the Mütter Museum, that's one of the things that fascinated me is they, they showed someone who actually has grown a horn calcium deposits from their head. Um, so clearly they're in league with the devil or, you know, demons, or they've done something immoral to the point of having deformed children where that, immorality that that had to happen for a reason that choice fell on the parents what what evil did the parents do what pact did they make to have this child turn out the way that the child did and in some
1: instance if you think about john merrick who was called the elephant man who had um, proteus syndrome that causes body parts to grow abnormally large and he was horribly deformed at the time He was initially in a freak show and he was called The Elephant Man and that became a play and it was a movie. Um, They tried to humanize him at the time and to introduce him into upper-class British society. And it kind of worked for him, at least in terms of what the literature shows and that originally he was this freak who was just regarded as subhuman. But it turns out, He was artistic. He was able to build incredible models. He built this model of a cathedral when he was in the um, hospital where he was being cared for for all these years. So once he was humanized, he was no longer as scary, at least to the people who knew him. But he would certainly be described as a monster, even though underneath all of the, the physical abnormality, he was a very grounded, very religious, very moral individual.
0: And that's like um, the WWE wrestler Andre the Giant. He's of enormous proportions. It was very easy to make a spectacle when he came into the ring and make him the villain. How easy is it to, to get people to turn on someone who's different? But then when he um, was in The Princess Bride, which you've referenced, he was funny and he was a likable character. And so that was the height of his popularity. After that film, people really loved him. And then I'm giving away my, you know, my past interest in wrestling as a a young man. But um, after that film, despite being at the height of his popularity, uh, Vince McMahon had him become a villain again. And so as hard as that would be to take someone who the audience loves and and who's so charismatic and and endeared and effectively turn them back into a villain, I think that had to be made easier by the fact that he was different.
1: He was different. And if you encountered him on the street he would look different. He had that um, very uh, prominent brow and his just his overall size. So what gets labeled as a monster in our society is sometimes the monster is very much in human form. And I know we'll get to talking about that when we talk about just people who do seem to be very basically evil, although they look normal. We've talked about serial killers and They look kind of just like us, except you don't know what's behind it. But in monster movies, it becomes a whole other thing that the monster is usually pretty well defined as someone or something really different that threatens us in some way.
0: Yeah. And then you usually have the lone authority figure or hero uh, who battles that monster, who drives that monster back, be it Chief Brody in Jaws or Beowulf Mm -hmm. who fights back Grendel. And sometimes monsters, um,
1: you could have, you know, alien space monsters that Flash Gordon uh, fights and it's like, well, they're different, but they're not, we're not really scared by them. But I think the way we've presented monsters, it often goes to um, sometimes where we are in the state of society. Post-World War II, post-Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Japanese is a way of, I think, representing the the trauma of nuclear war the consequence was well you now had godzilla you had mothra you had um Gemara, which were all these you know for all we know godzilla was originally just an iguana somewhere but now he becomes this enormous fire breathing thing that is destroying tokyo because they are always going after tokyo but it's a consequence of human action who created these monsters. And then we just kind of watch them or try to battle them. And humans are shown as weak. You know, the in those movies the monster is all powerful. Then sometimes it, you know Godzilla got remarketed as someone who could defend Tokyo from some other huge insect or reptile or something. And we let them fight it out, and we and then we become spectators. But it's not really scare so scary at first. Um so I think in terms of what is considered monstrous, it's how much can we identify it? how much is there an actual threat to us? And how much control do we have over it? And monsters can be everything. What was that movie with Kevin Bacon about the giant worms underground? Tremors Tremors, okay. It was brilliantly done and there was comedy in there, but it was like huge worms that are going to eat you and they're underground and they've been living there the whole time. That's part of the scary part. So if they just stayed there, we could have coexisted. They could have coexisted with the monsters out in the desert.
0: You know, once they, they encroached on our space yes, and that's a theme. The monster encroaches on our space. It upsets our society or the natural order that we accept
1: and then they have to be defeated. They have to be defeated or driven back. Right. Monsters played a whole role in um, Game of Thrones with uh, dragons. Dragons were considered monsters. And because they could decimate anything they wanted or what they were ordered to do. But the question is, if you watch that, were you afraid of the dragons? No. As a viewer, I certainly wasn't. Because they they were a kind of a tool. You knew that they had to be contained because if you let them go, they would wreak havoc on society. But they served a really key role in moving the story forward and a very strong uh, element in
0: terms of developing the human characters. And they served as an ally, as a transportation, and as a weapon for the one mm-hmm. of the people who was a protagonist at that point in the story. Mm-hmm. I think that's... That's different. When the monster's on your side, that's a whole different story as when the monster's coming for you right.
1: So there there are lots of genres. Uh, there's the um, hammer productions that came out in the 1950s that were largely around Dracula and almost romanticizing the era. So Dracula is a monster, but he's kind of an elegant guy and if he's you know he can entertain you. He'll serve you wine. He won't drink it, serve you food. He won't eat it. But what makes him a monster is that he can change. And you know that he is going to be predatory. But the hammer films, I think were very powerful that way. And that they were costume dramas and they used very um, garish colors and they had good actors and there was a dramatic part to it. So at some point, Dracula, you know, would get defeated at the end until he came back again, because there was the curse of Dracula, the horror Dracula, Dracula Dracula's middle age. I don't know. Uh, But that was a kind of horror film that worked at a number of levels because there was a story to it. There was romance and there was a little bit of gore, but it was contained and they were able to create a lot of tension.
0: And you're never quite safe. Once you defeat the monster, Mm -hmm. there's always the threat that another one's coming. And that, I mean, that goes back, I mentioned uh, Beowulf, that goes back to defeating Grendel. What happens next? Here comes Grendel's mom. So there's always another monster, a bigger, scarier sequel waiting Mm -hmm. to come for you.
1: And we've defined monsters sometimes in certain kinds of animals, such as bats. There's the devil bat, giant bats. Bats are scary. Why? Because if they attack you they bite you and they are considered they they will suck your blood because they're vampire bats and there's that intimacy that makes them scary why do you know why are bats used as a scary image for halloween um, you can go outside depending on where you live and you know on summer nights see them at dusk and they're just flittering around and they don't bother anyone they eat mosquitoes but we've associated it culturally with Dracula, with spookiness, with scariness, with the macabre. And because they're not inherently cute looking, they get labeled as monstrous.
0: Well, yeah, although I would say I, when you see a bat up close, I think they're cute. But I see what you mean. That that association has been built. And so bats have been vilified.
1: Bats have been vilified. They look scarier with their wings out, but if you've ever seen sort of a a common bat in terms of, you know, how big they are, they're basically a mouse with wings. Yeah, yeah. Now, what is attributed to them that makes them more frightening and threatening is they carry rabies. So if one bites you, you you would have an issue there. But arguably,
0: you know, so do raccoons. That's true. Yeah, why didn't... Why do vampires turn into raccoons and savage people? Well, because
1: raccoons um, are furry. They have that mask. So we think, Oh, they're band, They're just little bandits. They're just going to go through our garbage cans. And the things that we attribute to being scary or monstrous are usually animals that we don't, that are sufficiently different from us. Insects, snakes, There have been horror films, you know, what was it, Anaconda, you know, 20-foot snake. And um, we don't identify with snakes. You know, there are people who are, if they see a little garter snake in their lawn, they will freak. But it's interesting. I've encountered snakes, little ones, just if I'm moving something outside and one of them scoots out, there's something about the motion, the movement of it, that throws you off it's startling because it's so different from what you might see so snakes can become if you make them big enough and they can eat you they become monsters um you could make any any creature a monster you could have you know a, if you make a chipmunk you know 12 feet high it could be a monster chipmunk we would call it a monster But we don't associate, you know, scaring chipmunks that'll just go across the road or go across your lawn as scary because, oh, we can identify that they are mammals and uh, they're furry. So furry things are generally not seen as monstrous. And when they are, that throws us off. But
0: you're right. It's the scale that we see as scary. It's the scale. Back in the 50s or 60s, the black and white films, we had giant tarantulas, giant ants. We even had an attack of a 50-foot woman. So, I mean, yes, we did. We all survived that, luckily. Yes, fortunately, we did. So I think we've covered all of our bases when it comes to monsters. We have mentioned that, though not always the case, some monsters may be supernatural in nature. And that dovetails nicely into our, the topic of our next show, actually, uh, which we examine the subgenre of supernatural horror. So I want to thank you once again, the listeners, for joining us and for your continued morbid curiosity. Please join us on our next episode as we delve into the spooky world of the supernatural scare. The Horror Analysis is a Frank Horror production and is brought to you by Frank Juchnowitz, Elliot Rotman, and William Rizzo. Audio engineering and the original theme music to The Horror Analysis were provided by William Rizzo. Audio editing provided by Frank Joknowicz. Sound mastering was provided by David Parsons. The opening credits introduction was voiced by Christine Matschei. To learn more about our show, visit us online at frankhorror.com.